Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loyal, your host. And we're getting close to Election Day, one of the most, if not the most, crucial election, not just in America, but I would dare say in world history. That's right. There is a lot, a lot that is on the line right now. And so we need help. We have to be humble enough to admit that. We all need help to discern. I know many of you maybe have your minds made up already. Maybe they have been made up a long time ago. But I'm going to ask you just to be open for a moment, at least for as long as you're listening to this program. And hopefully it's the entire time. Hopefully you won't turn me off because you've already decided who you're going to vote for and you don't want to hear anything else. I understand. But I ask you just to open your hearts to what I'm going to call an Eastern Catholic or Byzantine voter's guide. As you know, the United States bishops put out a handy little guide called the Faithful Citizenship Guide for Voters. But we're going to put out our own Eastern style, a voter's guide from the Eastern Long of the Church. You can call it Eastern Catholic or Byzantine <laughs> Byzantine guide for voters. Because you want to develop a very responsible conscience. Because, you see, voting is, of course, is a very, very responsible thing. And the first thing we need to know is, or rather, maybe I should say, debunk, at least to a certain extent, is this idea of the separation of church and state. Now, I know I got your attention already. You're probably thinking, what, what? It's one of the great sacred maxims of our culture, separation of church and state. Yes, okay, but as always, what do we mean by that? What that really means, and actually the way it came about, it came about as a what they call an establishment clause, which was an, uh, added to the First Amendment of the Constitution uh, several years after the actual Constitution was written. And basically what this establishment clause was about is that our government would never establish or make a religion the established religion of the nation. In other words, everybody has to believe this way and follow this particular religion. It was actually a clause that was to prevent any kind of encroachment on the freedom of religion. Notice I said freedom of religion, not freedom of worship. There is a difference. They're similar, but there is a nuanced but important difference. 
It was to protect the freedom for everyone and anyone to live their faith, not just believe, but to live it. And this clause has been interpreted in many ways and has been misinterpreted or morphed in many ways, especially in recent times. Now, the reason why we want to make sure we understand what separation of church and state really means is because, especially from our Eastern Catholic point of view, especially our Byzantine point of view, there has always been in history an important overlap in a certain intermixing or one subsisting in the other of government and church. That's right. That actually has been the history of things. When we say separation of church and state, as I mentioned, it means a that the government will not prevail over any one religion or establish any one religion, that we have the freedom to worship in our religions, whatever they may be. But also, it means that the church will not prevent, stifle anyone practicing their faith, their religion, as it were, even in the government or social sphere. So this is really a protection for our freedom. It's not supposed to be a restriction, and unfortunately, that's what it's become. Now, in history, what would happen is there were times when emperors would help to elect a pope and bishops, yes, and vice versa. Popes would help to elect emperors. Yes, there was an overlap in church and state that we think is today, especially in America, that we think would be unheard of. But there is reasons why this was. Now, there should be a certain separation of church and state, and this even goes by the theology of the church. The Catholic Church does say that the state has a right to make its decisions to be responsible for the protection of its citizens. The church cannot dictate to the state what it should do in terms of laws and so on. It can inform. It has the duty, the obligation, the church does, to inform the state to inform the conscience of the state so that laws are good, equitable, benevolent, fair, good for society. The church is the conscience that helps to inform the state, but the church does not make decisions for the state. Now, this distinction was not so clear over many centuries in many cultures, especially in the Byzantine church. The Byzantine church was such that the emperor was prayed for, regarded almost as though he was the head of the church as well. Those divisions were and distinctions were almost blurred. And that, that was the history, especially in the, in the Byzantine church. And that's why to this day, we pray very hard and very often in our Byzantine liturgy for our civil authorities. In fact, sometimes the word is even in the text, emperor. That's right, emperor. And another reason we pray for them is because they are people of responsibility and people who have power. And as the great saints would tell us, no one person can handle power, especially absolute power, perfectly. Human beings are prone to abuse power, even the best of us. And we have a tremendous responsibility if we are in a place of being, for instance, a civil leader, an emperor, a king, a president, whatever, or at the same time, a bishop, a pope, a patriarch. Those are positions of great responsibility great influence. And so, once again, the Eastern spirituality would teach us that we have to be humble and realize that no one can really fill those lofty positions adequately, at least not without God's grace. And so we pray often in the liturgy for our civil authorities and for our leaders. When I was growing up, 
in the church, and I would hear our bishops, leaders being prayed for often, I used to wonder about that. I used to think to myself, boy, they don't pray for the rest of us that often. Are they like egomaniacs or something? Why is there this imbalance? Then later on, I realized there's a great ingenious reason for this. There is a certain imbalance because there's an imbalance of responsibility and of trying to handle something as precarious as power. So the liturgy prays for leaders because they are more in need of their prayer. So they are more in need of our prayers so that they can serve us with the greatest care, solicitude, serve us. Notice what I said? We pray for them that they may serve us. Now, when we think of and prepare for election, who we're going to vote for, What we need to do is need to listen to the words and the way that the Byzantine liturgy begins. The priest raises the gospel and says, Blessed is the kingdom of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And this idea of kingliness, of kingdom, is woven throughout the liturgy. It's even seen in the way that the Byzantine clergy dress. Some of them actually wear crowns. Some of the archpriests and the bishops actually wear crowns. And the dress is very regal. They often depict Jesus as a king or prince in regal robes. So regalness, kingliness, royalty, it's a reflection of heaven, the kingdom of heaven. And so we express that in earthly ways here through dress and decorations and crowns and so on. But the idea is that it's the kingdom of God. In other words, heaven. Blessed is the kingdom of God. And we pray, as we do in the Our Father, that that kingdom of God is made manifest on earth. Okay, now that's the first principle of our voter's guide. What are we shooting for? What are we aiming for? The right party, the right person that we like or don't like, the right party that we've been committed to all our lives and our grandparents were this party or that party. No, it's about how can we, through this great privilege and power of voting, in other words, choosing leaders to serve us, how can we, through them, through our vote, work towards establishing the kingdom of God on earth? In other words, that order, according to God, what is that order? That order certainly has, as one of its top priorities, the sanctity of life. How do we protect that from the moment of conception to natural death? How do we protect that? Protecting that is helping to make present on this earth the kingdom of God. How do we have a benevolent, caring government? What does that look like? What would the policies be for a caring, benevolent government? What about the way that we see all of life, the environment, for instance? The Byzantine liturgy would say that we see the environment sacramentally. In other words, you don't have to be part of some trendy environmental group or policy. You don't have to ascribe to climate change and so on. You don't have to be an extremist in this regard. All you have to do is look at the world, God's order of creation, look at the environment through that mystical sacramental lens of the liturgy. And you know that the environment is holy. It manifests God. So how do we vote in a way that will help protect the environment? Notice what we're doing here. We're not talking about persons or parties. When I return, I'm going to talk more about how to vote, how to form our voting conscience through the Eastern Catholic spirituality. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion and to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church. We need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now 
by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. New from EWTN Publishing, A Crisis in Culture, How Secularism is Becoming a Religion by Father George Rutler. In this timely and penetrating book, Father Rutler shows how the West's decade-long cultural assault against Christianity is finally reaching its inevitable conclusion, the self-destruction of our culture and society. In Father Rutler's book, discover why the Catholic faith is the only means by which civilization can be restored, the difference between nostalgia and tradition, why the 20th century produced more martyrs than all previous Christian centuries combined, and what happens when we let the government, rather than the church, become our mother. These are some of the insights you'll gain in A Crisis in Culture, How Secularism is Becoming a Religion. Available now at EWTNRC.com. Buy Catholic. Shop EWTNRC.com. You're, you're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. You are listening to the Choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the Sacred Liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. Order online at byzantinecatholic.com. All we ask is a donation of $15 or more, which includes shipping and handling, to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you... Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loyo, your host. We're presenting the Eastern Catholic Voter's Guide as the great election is upon us now because we want to form our conscience, our, our soul, because this is what we're doing. We're helping to make the kingdom of God on earth. That theme is woven through the liturgy, and that's what we're actually trying to do whenever we vote. We're trying to create a government, a governing body, that will make the kingdom of God on earth. In other words, it is about love and benevolence, about a, a fair and effective economy, about proper education, especially about the sanctity of life and religious liberty. Those are the two, I'm going to call them the two vital signs of a healthy culture, of a culture that reflects the kingdom of God on earth. The reason why we don't vote person and oftentimes I hear this, well, I hate this or that candidate. People actually say that hate. Christians say that. Catholics say that. Since when do we hate? I hate them. Therefore, I'll vote for the other person. Well, we're not voting for a spouse. We're not voting for our roommate. We're not voting for a friend. We're voting really for a way of life. It is through the candidate and the party that 
certain principles, a worldview, is ushered into our existence. It happens to be through this person or this party, but it transcends the person and the party. The person is not what it's all about. And when it comes to politics, let's face it, what person is so pristine and pure? It almost seems as though you don't go very far in politics without having some aspects of you that maybe aren't so pristine and pure. I mean, it seems that way. It shouldn't be that way, but let's face it. And those non or not so pristine pure qualities become very evident when you're a politician running for office, especially a high office like the presidency, because you're very much exposed and everybody's looking at you with a fine tooth comb. You're under a microscope. They love to throw rocks at you, especially if they decide they don't like you, they hate you. That's another problem about hating someone. When we decide we don't like someone or hate them, there's nothing that they can do that is good. We fail to see how God, yes, God may be acting even through what we consider to be the worst of people. And God does, in fact, do that. Going back to the Emperor Constantine, Constantine is the one that legalized Christianity in the Byzantine Empire in the 4th century. He eventually became a Christian, but not right away. He waited. He didn't really want to totally give in. I mean, he affirmed Christianity, made it legal, he admired it, but he became baptized basically close to his deathbed. That's right. He didn't want to really be that totally Christian himself personally. Yet, what did he do? He ushered in Christianity, a mighty Christianity, which I have inherited myself as a Byzantine Catholic, thanks to Constantine. So was he a great and perfect person the whole time? No. But in the Eastern churches, he's considered a saint because eventually what he did in time. So we can't always look and should not, in fact, look just at the person. Is the person significant? Yes, they are. But it's not anywhere near the whole story. In our election now, as it was earlier, it wasn't always this way before, but nowadays it is. It's really a battle between ideology, a utopian ideology, that being largely a Marxist type of ideology, and reality. Reality meaning that which is configured most to God's order of things. Now, those are things that our nation was founded upon. Are those things being preserved by this or that candidate? Does your vote help to preserve those principles, such as all men are created equal, we are all have inalienable rights, we're made the image and likeness of God? Are all those things preserved by your vote? So we make the kingdom of God on earth through government, through the election, through a lot of things, but certainly through government. That's who we're electing. So we're looking past the person and we're looking into how the principles, the reality behind the person will make the kingdom of God on earth. Or will it just be ideology, a utopian ideology that will not make the kingdom of God on earth, although it may seem that way, it may seem better, but if it is not based in God's order of things and these fundamental principles that founded our nation, it is not going to bring about the kingdom of God on earth. So right away, the liturgy is setting the tone. The principle. We're looking to establish the kingdom of God on earth. We're looking past the personhood of the candidates. Though not entirely, character does matter, but let's face it. Find a politician who has such flawless character as we would like. Find that person for me. It's very rare, if not impossible. 
And even if they are a very good character, we'll find some kind of flaw or failing in them. So we move past the person and past the party. The parties have been blurred very much in recent years. They don't even sound the way they used to sound years ago. So we can't be dogmatic about parties. And furthermore, you will not hear in the liturgy or the Bible, you will not hear the words, for instance, Democrat or Republican. So we can't treat that as dogma. That's sometimes what we do. We treat it as dogma. So what is a government supposed to do? First and foremost, it is supposed to protect the sanctity of life, protect a nation, the population of a nation, which is basically is lives. It's all about protecting lives. It is not there to supply a living for people. It is not there to supply everything we would like. It's not some unlimited resource of finances that's going to give us everything we want and we can demand it and feel that we're entitled to it. And this government has this sort of secret, limitless supply, this bottomless pit of wealth that it can just distribute and give to us no matter what we want or think. That's not what a nation and a government is about. Government is about protecting. That's right. Again, making sure that God's order of creation is established in the nation. And by the way, the order of a nation should reflect the order of creation, of God's order of creation, of God's hierarchy in heaven. Yes, that's right. Just as in the Byzantine liturgy, we have a strong sense of hierarchy. There's hierarchy in heaven. Therefore, there has to be hierarchy on earth. And there has to be respect for that hierarchy. There has to be respect for authority. In the Byzantine liturgy, we have a profound sense of deferring to that which is greater than ourselves. That, of course, first and foremost, is God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, God who is Trinity, yet one God, that we we defer continuously to that God through constant repentance, constant bowing, reverencing the images of God, lighting candles, bowing, kneeling, prostrating ourselves, begging for repentance, going to confession. We do this continuously because we know that there is something, an authority, an author. Authority means one who authors, who creates, who brings into existence, who gets the ball rolling, who states the story, tells the story. The author, authority, and we defer to that. And so in the establishment of the kingdom of God on earth, there has to be a strong sense of authority. In other words, law in order. We're not talking about dictatorship or tyranny. We're talking about respect for law and order, which is there for the good of all. So again, in our liturgy, we see the emphasis, not only the kingdom of God, but how the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is made present partly through authority, order, hierarchy. Our vote should be one in which we see this or that source. I'm refraining from saying the word party, but this or that source that is up for election, that they are going to usher into our reality this sense of order and hierarchy. Because again, it reflects God's order. We also have to consider the sanctity of life, the protection of life itself, especially life which is most defenseless, such as those who are youngest and those who are oldest. So we look at what entity is going to usher into our existence, into our little kingdom of God on earth, the full protection of an unborn child in the womb. 
This is a non-negotiable principle. We speak so much in the scripture, and we see this in the holy days of the church. See, the holy days of the church bring us into these realities. For example, we celebrate the conception of the Virgin Mary, Christ's conception essentially at the Annunciation, and the conception of St. John the Baptist, the three most holiest beings ever existed on earth, which means that there has to be something godly about conception, the moment of conception, what happens in the womb, because we actually celebrate the miracle of that, the holiness of that, in the holy days of the church. So once again, it tells you there must be something very, very special about what happens in the womb at the moment of conception. And so that womb, that life from the moment of conception, must be seen as sacred and protected. We also celebrate saints when they've come to the end of their lives and how they died. So we also honor old age. We honor the fullness of a person's life. So from womb to tomb, the most important principle as we form our consciences is that of the sanctity and protection of life, the protection of the sanctity of life, whether as a nation, people in general, citizens, or individuals in the womb all the way to natural death. It is the liturgy that will give us the guide to how to vote. In other words, the why behind our vote, what the purpose is. It's not about whether we like someone or not. It's not about whether we have a party loyalty or not. Yes, our vote happens to bring into office a particular person with all of their pluses and minuses, a particular party with all its pluses and minuses, but there's something greater that is ushered in through them. And that's what we look at and we approach it through the eyes of the liturgy. Thanks for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit byzantinecatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit byzantinecatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh.